Our scripture this morning comes from the uh, book of Psalms, and Pastor Mike and I will be uh, preaching through the Psalms this summer, and uh, we're really excited for an opportunity to uh, look into the Old Testament. We spent a lot of time in the New Testament, and, and uh, this summer we'll be looking through uh, what we like to look at as you know, ancient worship songs, and we'll begin with the first psalm, so I'd like to look at that today and read that. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff. That the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray for Pastor Mike as he comes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that today you would help us to meditate on your law, that it would fill our hearts and our minds with goodness and with your will. We pray for Pastor Mike as he comes today to share uh, these words that your Holy Spirit would move through him, giving him the words to speak so that our hearts might be touched by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Things are not always as they appear. Um, We did not skip a baptism. We uh, have a child that was unable to attend today, so it's always best to baptize them when they're here. So... um, it's been one of my rules for ministry. A couple uh, remarks before I go right into the, the talk this morning. Um, tender, tender moments you heard in Vicki's prayer for our chancel choir. For 175 years in this congregation, uh, the voices of praise have been rung and sung here. And I know along the line there have been many voices that have gone and joined the choir triumphant. And one of those who sang with our choir many, many years was Elaine Andre, and she passed away. Um, early this morning, so certainly uh, pray for her family, her husband Daryl, her her children Renee, uh, Darren, and Jeff, uh, as they walk through this uh, valley of grief. And also, it's a tender moment in our choir uh, today because they also celebrate uh, one of their own, Katie Feldman, who also has sang praises here for many years. Uh, oldest daughter Laura was married yesterday, and I was pleased, uh, pleased to be part of that celebration. So, of course, as is the cup of life always, there is a sweetness uh, and uh, some bitter taste uh, mixed together, but over it all, uh, our Lord God sings his praises and, 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 and lets us know that we can sing his praises because he will not leave us alone. So praise the Lord for our choir and their very many ministry. And I, I want to say one other thing. I got in here a little bit earlier than I normally do. Um, <clears throat> don't think that might be because the sermon's short. It might be, might not, I don't know. Uh, but I, I heard a number of comments about the pastor's haircut. Um, <laughs> I just want to tell you, yes, I did get one to go to general conference, so it's available for under $20, I'm assured, at any cost cutter anywhere else, and maybe in your garage, so I don't know. Happy Mother's Day. 
so uh, so much a privilege to be uh, able to preach on on Mother's Day uh, and say Happy Mother's Day to all of you. I certainly want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of you who have raised your own biological children, or your own adopted children from uh, very young ages to adulthood, and. Uh, weathered through those years that we call middle school and other kind of challenges uh, that came to you and that you taught them in the ways of the world and the ways of the Lord and so well done. And I also want to take a moment and celebrate some because I think there are many among our congregation that are, are not biological mothers but have mothered many children. Uh, through the various kind of mentoring in Sunday school, in the, in the public schools, in, in being in your neighborhood. And I know that myself, I, I have received uh, various, I have several what I would call spiritual mothers along the way that were not my biological mother, who of course is fantastic, but they have mothered me. And I want to thank you and celebrate with you uh, this day. You may not get uh, a card in the mail, you may not get flowers, but um, you are remembered and uh, thankfulness is given to you. So praise the Lord. Uh, for you. Pastor Keith uh, led his psalm, I think, by uh, something I I love, uh, that he talked about the fact that the psalms are the Hebrew songbook. And I I make the case that in many ways we are what we sing. We are what we sing oftentimes. Our Our songs tell us what we are and what we're aspiring to be. You know, I know that if you're walking around singing the, the old song, Oh, happy day, oh, happy day. You're thinking about having a happy day, right? Or you're thinking that there's a happy day ahead. And, and, and the context and the, and, and the spirituality of your life is led by what you're singing. But if you sing that old song by, by Foghat, one of my favorite bands coming up, that says, I feel so bad, feel like a ball game on a rainy day, you're probably not going to have a great day. You've put yourself in context to, to, to not soar to the highest heights. But our songs oftentimes tell us what we are and what we're aspiring to in those moments in that day. And the Psalms of Israel are the same. The Psalms of Israel, those 150 songs, and and poetry, of course, in Israel is different than what, if you ever want to do a Google search, it kind of instructs you about the poets. They they have different uh, pentameters. They have different kind of rhyming schemes than we have. But the Psalms of, of Israel talk about who they are, who they aspire to be. And of course, we believe that as all Scripture is God-breathed and inspirational for us, Pastor Keith and I are going to lead you through uh, a spring and, and some of the summer talking about the Israel Psalm book and how it applies to our life. Now, Psalm 1, there is no gray in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a very easy contrast psalm, so I don't have to do that much hard work today. Because Psalm 1 is a contrast. It says there are righteous and godly. They basically say that's two kinds of people. There's the righteous and the ungodly. Choose who you're going to be. Now I know, I know in today's language, those words might have lost some of their luster. Because there's a slang word called righteous. You know, you might have gone to some event and say, hey, did you go to that movie? And somebody will say, oh yeah, it was righteous. Which means it was really good. And I heard a couple of ladies in this congregation once, they'd gone over to a woman in our congregation's home and they said, well, did you see the way, insert the name there, uh, the color she painted her living room? And they said, oh yeah, it was some ungodly uh, color of avocado. That, that, that I understand, but those aren't the appropriate ways that the Psalms uses righteous and ungodly. The historic use of those words are that righteousness means that you're aligning your life with God. And unright, un, unrighteous or ungodly 
means you're aligning your life with yourself. If you're ungodly, your concerns begin and end where you are. If you're righteous, you seek to meet the concerns and the nature of God. So the righteous start by knowing what, not, what to stay away from. They, they know what to stay away from. We were at a Summer Games pastors meeting, and we pastors, like people in general, are of various sizes, shapes, and an athletic, uh, uh, you know, shape. And one of the pastors was sitting beside me, very young, very fit, and we were trying to decide where to go to lunch, the 12 or 15 of us that were around the table. And somebody said, oh, let's go to Pizza Ranch. And to me, he said, oh, great, a chance to make a bunch of bad food choices. You know, because when you have that whole food trough, that whole buffet out in front of you, the opportunity to make bad food choices is there, but so is the opportunity to make good food choices. And the righteous in their life, or the healthy, know to stay away from the bad. In the righteous nature, when we talk about the kingdom of God, the righteous know what to stay away from. They lean away from the wrong. They lean away from the unhealthy because they know there is no fulfillment there. The righteous... And ungodly are different in how they think, how they behave, and to whom they belong. I don't know if you know this, but the the world is full of advice. Have you noticed that? That the world is full of advice. And everyone's willing to share it. Everyone's willing to advise you. We were at, uh, I can't remember what city Teresa and I were in, but we were in a city not our own, uh, a ways away, and we were getting, uh, we'd been somewhere and we were getting uh, later at night, like 8.30 or at night or something like that. We were at the Wendy's window. We pulled up to this Wendy's and the girl that was handing our, us our food, she was very engaging, very lovely little person. And uh, I talked to her, but I always try to engage people because I think it's a loving, caring thing to do. But I noticed when she first came out, you know, because they take your money before they give you the food because, you know, they're not trust you. And Right? I mean, isn't that what that's about? I don't Everywhere else you go, you get the food first and you pay. So they, she comes, and when she comes, I notice that she's got a tattoo that has three stars on her cheek. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you put a tattoo on your face, it's noticeable. All right? <laughs> people see that. So I saw it, and I thought maybe there was some deep meaning behind it. Maybe she'd lost some people, and they were, you know, she believed that they were in heaven with the stars or something like that, or maybe that she, you know, had some other deep, meaningful reason for that. And I said, so when she brought me our food, I said, well, tell me about your ink. And she said, oh, yeah, this. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, you noticed it. And she said, well, you know, it was late one night, and one of my friends said, you know what we should do? We should get star tattoos on our face. And we did. Now, I don't know where you live, but that sounded like bad advice to me. (laughs) There was no deep, rich meaning to it, and there she was at 20-something, and, you know, when she's as old as Pastor Mike, she's still going to have those three tattoos uh, on on her face. But but the world is full of advice, some not so good. Every one of you here have been in some, I'm guessing, every one of you here has been in some complicated life situation where, where things seem to be unraveling over here, and you'd thought about a lot of different things about how to handle a situation, and someone that you know, and, and sometimes someone you care about, will come up to you and just say this. They'll say something like, they always start it this way, well, you should just, you should just quit, or you should just tell them this, or you should just walk away, or you should, what? Th- those solutions are rarely good advice, because they don't see the context or the, 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 the powerful context that you're in. Everybody's full of advice, but the righteous know. Acting on bad counsel leads us away from God. 
Acting on bad advice leads us away from God because sin and rebellion by nature is progressive. We always know in anything, if you do something once, it's likely you can do it again. So when you start to sin and you sin one time, you know that just as easily you could do it again. And it begins to multiply and complicate itself. But the righteous know how to stay away from the counsel of the ungodly. The righteous, by by leaning into God, know how to stay away from the ungodly. The righteous discern for themselves what is godly counsel. And I want you to hear this, you Methodists and Christians that are gathered here this morning. And even those of you that are dabbling in Christianity and don't know yet. Righteous have to be discerning enough to know that even we ourselves, our own heart, our own mind, our own spirit can give us bad counsel. You ever given yourself bad counsel? I've given myself bad counsel plenty of times. I can remember one time when I was break, broke something in my garage and I counseled myself and said, you know, probably the right thing to do now is throw your hammer through the wall. <laughs> and I did. And at the end of that, I said, bad advice. You know, I think that, that, that I'm being facetious but about that. I mean, that actually happened, but I, and I apologized for it and fixed my dad's garage. But the, uh, <laughs> he sold the house. He don't care anymore. So, but... The thing that is, is that sometimes when we're listening to ourselves, we have to remind ourselves, I don't think my advice is as good as I think it is. I gave myself some bad advice, and I need to stop right here, because the righteous know where to find good counsel. The righteous know where to find good counsel, and the good counsel that we find is in God's Word. We we dig into God's Word, and we apply that to every aspect of of, of our lives. And and when, when you're applying God's Word to your life you know one of the first things you do is, is, is you start to move away from those that are walking the ungodly path. Now, you won't escape them because we live in the same world. But more and more, you begin to see that, that you don't fit with them. I, one of the great Mother's Day testimonies I can, I can give you right now is I've watched a number of mothers here in this congregation and, and elsewhere cultivate their home that way. They've made their home a place of the righteous. They've made their home such as it was a square hole. And so rather when their children start um, playing with or moving around with kids that aren't so attractive or are doing the wrong things, rather than saying, oh, I forbid you from being with that student. I forbid you from being on the internet with them. I forbid you from being with them. They make their household a square peg, a square hole. And when a round peg comes into that, those students tend to self-select out. And the children within their own home see what's happening and are typically grateful for that. But that's because they, they lean away from what's, what's, what's wrong and unrighteous and ungodly. See, the righteous are always on a way. We are always traveling on a path, and we are not traveling the same pathway. And we are not traveling the same direction as the ungodly. The righteous are not afraid to take a less traveled road because they know it leads to blessing, happiness, and eternal life. I, one of our favorite places in the world, Teresa and I, is the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. 
Now, the South Rim is where the bulk of the tourists, about seven times as many tourists go to the South Rim as go to the North Rim. We love camping on the North Rim. It's about 7,000 feet, so it's cool at night, and, and we like that. And the view is the same, except where the sun's at. So we were there once, and it's back when I had four-wheel drive vehicles and stuff, and we took a, we took a trip with our kids up the road to Point Sublime, which Point Sublime is one of the most beautiful outposts that you'll ever see at the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's all beautiful. But we drove up this 12-mile four-wheel drive road, which if you're a four-wheel driver, you know that's about a two-hour drive. And it's slow, and you get up there, and we had lunch and all that kind of stuff. And when we got to the parking lot for Point Sublime, there was very few cars up there, 10, 12, because you had to have the right, and there were no cars. There were this kind of vehicle up there. And you could kind of look out over the Grand Canyon and there was this path that was about 12 feet wide, just, I mean, dirt, you know, rock path, up, up a little hill to where there was kind of a flat spot in the rocks. And you went up there and you, when you stood there, you could see all of the Grand Canyon this way, but there was this huge rock face right here. And I thought, well, interesting, interesting, you know, I mean, well, the rock was put there by geology and stuff, but it's an interesting place for an overlook. But people had gone up there and they'd walked up there and they'd look and then they'd go back to their cars. Well, we were standing there and my younger, my oldest daughter, Sarah, said, Dad, she's about 12. She's, there's a little path over here. Can we go up it? And it went around this big rock face and uphill, probably about 100 foot in elevation. And when we got up there, there was a huge flat area on a rock about as big as this, this, this chancel here. With the point, with the, with the post that said, welcome to Point Sublime. Very few people went up that path. It, it was a narrow path. It was hard. You were walking through the crags and all that. But most of the people that drove two hours in a four-wheel drive vehicle got to the parking lot for Point Sublime. But they never actually got to Point Sublime. Because when you got up to this top area, you could see the whole Grand Canyon, north, south, east, west. The whole thing. I mean, as much as your eyes can see. There was nothing blocking it. See, Christians, we need to understand that the hard path is oftentimes the best path. We say Christianity is not complicated, but it is hard because we know that the narrow path of Christ leads to the best place. This is why Jesus says in in Matthew 7, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Many people don't go the full route in Christianity. Many people don't go the full route in righteousness or godliness. Psalm 16 says, You show me the path in life. Your presence is fullness and joy. At your right hand are pleasures for everyone. See, God has a path, I believe this. And it's a good road to take. And not everyone sees it. It's not that it's not hidden. It's that not everyone's looking for it. So therefore, not everyone sees it. And I'm going to tell you one other thing about this. Some people see folks on the, on the path of Christ. Some people see folks on the path of righteousness because, like I said, this isn't either you're righteous or either you're ungodly kind of situation. Some people see folks, other folks, on the path of, of, path of righteousness and they love to criticize. They love to critique. They love to put down. The scornful of the Bible says... Love to sit and criticize the people of God and the things of God. They, they love to, to criticize. And I want to tell you this so you know it for sure, Christians. Christians, we are criticizable. That should be the first amen of today. Christians, you are criticizable. Because as one of my friends says, we Christians are a kooky bunch. 
We like to get together. We love to love the Lord. And we all see the Lord from, from our own heart and our own perspective. And we all desire to follow him. But we are criticizable because we are not perfect. We follow a perfect God, and as Wesley says, through our sanctifying grace, through our prevenient grace, through our, through our justifying grace, we are working towards perfection, but we won't arrive it in this world, but we do, do desire it in, in, the, in, in, the, in the next. So Christians understand that you will be criticized. You will not be criticized to the level of the new, the new disciples that you read about in the book of Acts and, and the letters of Paul. But if you're going to love Christ, you're going to be criticized. And so the warning shot is, because we're inside the church... You don't criticize within the family. You really want to make Satan happen, happy? Criticize other Bible-believing Christians. You really want to divide things in the church? Criticize the way of other Christians. Because Satan gets great joy there. But the righteous know what to do. Just as the, uh, as the righteous know what not to do, and we're often told what not to do, we need to know what we're supposed to do. The righteous know what to do. Years ago when I was a college student, we had driven from Southern Methodist in Dallas to Shreveport, uh, Louisiana to play a baseball game. And so if you can imagine this, uh, three vans of college students with big gulps. We get to Shreveport, and we come up to this kind of a convenience store, but it doesn't have gas pumps. Okay? And I'm going to remind you, three vans of college men, big gulps, driving to Shreveport, Louisiana. So we get out, and we all have one goal. And the sign on the door says, bathrooms for customers only. And my friend Al Lawrence, who is also one of my roommates, six foot six, African-American, comes running by me, and the lady at the desk is saying, sir, I'm sorry, those bathrooms are for customers only. And he just reaches, looks over his shoulder, and he says, Mike, buy something, and keeps walking. You know, sometimes you just got to know what to do. And, and the righteous know what to do. The, the, the righteous fill their mind with the Word of God. The righteous absolutely fills their mind with the Word of God. In, in the Eastern religions, you know, a lot of that you hear a lot of play about, the Eastern religions, a lot of mystic religions, the real goal in some of that meditation and such is to empty your mind. Empty yourself to empty your mind. The reverse is true in Christianity. When, when you pray and you meditate in Christianity, the goal is to fill your mind. It's to fill your mind and allow God to fill your mind with, with his word, with, with his right thoughts. To fill your mind in such a way that you can apply everything in your life to the scripture. If all scripture is God-breathed and inspired, then it is also applicable to our lives. And therefore, we can apply the things that come to us, regardless of what they are, and say, does this measure up to God's word or not? So often, though, I think we're Christians that, that read scriptures and forget about it. I mean, we might read Psalm 1 this morning, but by 3 o'clock in the afternoon when we're celebrating Mother's Day or mowing our lawn, we, we've kind of forgotten about it. And we can't do that. We have to take scriptures in, this one and all the rest of them, and let it roll around you know, let it roll around in your mouth like, it, like a hard candy or something like that. Let it just roll around in there and, and, and keep tasting it and feeling it and sensing it and, and build an appetite for more Scripture to come in your life because it will lead you to the righteous. And I want to make sure I don't leave without saying this. The righteous are proud to follow God. You know, I, I drive all over town like you. I always get a kick out of 
pulling up to a stop sign. And, and you see these bumper stickers that say, I'm proud of, you know, I'm proud of my honor student. I'm proud of my Linmar Lion. I'm proud of my Marion Indian. I'm proud of my Maltese Falcon. I'm proud of my Poodle. I'm proud of, I had DQ last night. I don't, you know, th- th- there's all these things that we say, I'm proud of. And my real concern is, does the tattoo on your heart say, I'm proud of Christ? And don't, don't sit and be quiet, Christians. These are not the moments for that. We can do that some other time. But you'd be proud to follow Christ. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher in England, uh, said these words years ago. Be out for him. I love that. Be out for him. Unfurl your colors for him. Never hide them. But say to all who ridicule Christians, if you have any ill will for the followers of Christ, pour them on on me. But know this, you will hear it, whether you luck it or not. I love Christ. I love Christ. Are you in love with Christ? Are you proud to follow him? See, I think one of the biggest problems of the North American church is that we've fallen out of love with Christ and fallen into love with our own preferences. We, we have to fall in love with Christ. We, you know, Christ talks about his relationship with us in terms of bride and bridegroom. He talks about how it is that we're, we're meant to be together forever and that we're to be proud of each other and to, and to be loving each other. And so be in love with Christ. And then, of course, if you're in love with Christ, the righteous person's life bears fruit the righteous person's life bears fruit for the Lord. There are no barren trees in the Lord's vineyard. There are no barren trees in the Lord's orchard. Christians actively work to bring something good and wonderful out of everything. Even the toughest circumstances can, can bring something prosperous for us. We, we have a, a woman in the congregation who comes to one of our later congregations, and she's shared with Keith and Vicki and I, both, all three of us, this, this wonderful thing that God has done for her. But let me tell you about the context. Over the last few years, she has been through one of the most cantankerous, difficult divorces that you might come up against. And so then she writes at the end of this, this letter to us, this email to us that says, I am thrilled with the great things that God has done in my life during this time. Now, who looks to the worst valleys of their life for the most wonderful times? The answer is the righteous. Because the righteous feel that even in the most difficult times, God will be prosperous in our lives. And I've had other emails like that or or persons that have come up to me and said, even through this illness, God has been blessing me. Even through this difficulty, this loss of job, God has been blessing me. Well, let me tell you, those are the folks that are looking at the narrow path and walking on it because those in the world are not times where you're feeling blessed. When you're losing spouse, when you're losing money, when you're losing job, all that. And here's where it ties down to. This is the Methodist unpopular part of the sermon. The future is different for the righteous and the ungodly. Big global terms. Please understand this. This is not a Mike Morgan idea. This is the Bible. There are consequences for how we live. There simply are. Scripture is clear. It is black and white. There is no gray area on this matter. The contrast that's made in chapter 1 of the Psalms is that contrast between chaff 
and trees. Chaff is kind of a thin little covering that's on a grain and it, it's so fragile and thin it can blow away and it certainly is removed before you mill the flour or anything like that. But, but it really doesn't serve any use. It's unnecessary. Trees, of course, are that which dig deep roots and they say in the psalm that they sit by the water stream and they're nourished well. The future is different for the righteous and ungodly. The future of the ungodly is dangerous. The future of the ungodly is is absolutely dangerous. Remind your friends. Because the future has no substance. It has no, no use in their future. The future is left unshared with the righteous. This is hard. We don't like to consume these words. We don't like to say these words. But the reality of the scriptures are that it is persistent and consistent on this matter. Is that the future of the ungodly is unshared with the righteous. Because the ungodly insist on remaining in their own ways. They insist remaining in their own sin. And it leads to nowhere. The future of the righteous, however, is glorious. It begins in this earthly life with atonement with God. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, you have the opportunity to be at one with God and you can live every single moment in your life of God, protected by the umbrella of God. And even in your faults and failings, you can know in the depth of your heart, not that I'm trying, but that I am one. I am already redeemed. I am already sanctified. I am already living to God. Will I make mistakes? Yes. Will I go awry? Yes. But will I know where to go back to? Yes. And absolutely yes. So in this earthly life, you'll be living in the atonement of God and... When your heart stops beating and your breath stops coming in and out, you will go home to a paradise that is an eternity with our Heavenly Father. The righteous and the ungodly. That's a choice we make with the living of our days. It has to do with who we affiliate with. If we affiliate everything we are and plan to be with the Lord God, we will be dermed and and deemed righteous. If we affiliate everything in our life and where we plan to be and the songs we plan to sing and all that kind of stuff with ourselves, then we put ourselves in the ungodly. Now, friends, I don't think it's hard to figure out where your pastor encourages you to lean, encourages you to walk, and encourages you how to live. Be the righteousness. Be the righteousness of God and in this world, and I tell you, you will never, ever regret it. Now, before I go to the offering, I do want to say one thing. Uh, many of you have, have, have read, heard, or uh, seen that uh, Pastor Mike is going to the General Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is our highest legislative body, meets every four years. It meets in Portland for the next two weeks. So two things I ask you to pray for. One, just the existential Mike. I'm going to be in the same conference room for the next 12 days. And if that doesn't drive me nuts, wow. Um, and I'm going to be with a bunch of kooky Methodists from all over the world. So, so please pray for, 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 for me personally, um, and that I'll hold up God's will regardless. And secondly, pray for our church. These are critical moments in every church in the world. And in a global church like ours, these are critical decisions that are being made. There are some moments, and I, I ask you mostly just this simple pray. Pray that the United Methodist Church follows the way of God, because we need no other way. Thank you.